Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new show. And I should say a welcome back to a brand new show. It's been about seven years now, almost eight years since I did my last live Stone and Tile show. Uh, for those of you that want to call in with a question, the number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. So, what is this show all about? Well, you see it in the name, the Stone and Tile Show. We're going to cover everything that has to do with stone and tile installations, from ceiling to floor to exteriors to interiors, historic countertops, you name it. If it has to do with stone and tile, we're definitely going to talk about it here on, on the show. Uh, again, the phone number is 323-870-3968. Uh, I will mention my website, which is stoneforensics.com, where you can see all about me rather than wasting my time here uh, uh, talking about me. Well, it looks like we have our first caller, and we'll go ahead and uh, put them on the air. Go ahead, caller. You are live. Hello, caller. I guess that caller is not there. Anyway, um we're going to talk about everything today. Uh, we're going to answer all your questions. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of emails that I actually have gotten in uh, over the last couple of days since I announced this show. Uh, the first one's going to be a porcelain tile uh, absorbency question. Uh, I get this question all the time. You know, how porous is absorbent tile? I've got some what appears to be moisture on my tile. I thought porous tile was not porous. Well, that's not true. And of course, it depends on the it depends on how long it's fired. There are porcelain tiles that have very little porosity, somewhere down around 0.05 absorption with absorption rate, and others that are extremely porous. A lot of them seem to be, uh, well, especially the home materials seem to have a lot of uh, porosity uh, to them. The best way to find out whether that porcelain tile needs to be sealed, obviously, is just simply place some water on it. Now, beading alone doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not sealed. Uh, what I would do is place the water on top of the tile, and this goes for porcelain tile as well as stone tile or any other absorbent surface. Wait about a minute, then wipe the water away, and if you see a mark there, a dark then it needs to be sealed. So the next question may be, what do I seal it with? Well, that's simple. You simply seal it with a a good impregnator, a stone impregnator. A lot of the impregnators today are both oil and water repellent, so uh, I would definitely uh, go with, with those as well. Uh, the next question I get in my emails all the time is, um, why are my tiles coming up? I just got this from a friend of mine this morning uh, that said my tiles are popping up all over the place. Well, there's a number of reasons for that, and without you know going in and actually doing an inspection and determining why they're coming up, my first guess would be, lack of expansion. And I see this all the time and it's such a common problem. Uh, there's either no expansion joints in the installation or they install the tile directly up against the walls and there's nowhere for the tile to move. So what happens is you end up getting uh, sometimes a crack, sometimes you'll get a condition known as tenting where the tiles will just simply tent, tent up. Um, but you do need the inspection to find out what's doing that. It's not um, common problem anyway. Uh, the next question I've gotten, and I get this a lot, is, Fred, what's the number one problem 
with stone installations. Now, primarily I'm talking about walls and floors right now, uh, not necessarily countertops. I'm to that in a moment. But the number one problem I see with is resin-backed materials. Now, that can be a fiberglass netting on the back. It could be just simply resin on the back. Uh, I've seen resin with sand sprinkled in it to give it some apparently some bite. But you have to remember one thing about resin back materials. If you're going to use standard thin set, and I don't care if you're using a, a laticrete or mape and you're using the best thin set they have, it's not going to bond without some kind of chemical bonding agents. If you take a look at the bag, at the limitations on this data sheet uh, for those thin sets, it will say if you're dealing with a resin backed material to use epoxy setting materials. And I can't emphasize how many times we actually see that. Now I see we have uh, two callers on the line. I'm gonna see if I can cue them up here. I've got one from uh, a 414 area code and let's see if we can get, get you on online. Are you there caller? Nope, either I don't know how to work this new software or the callers aren't there yet. So we'll just, we'll see what happens here next. All right, let's go to fabrication, for example. Um, number one problem I see, especially from not necessarily fabricators, but it can be a fabricate, it is a fabrication issue. And that is when the customer calls and says they have a crack in their countertop. Well, we get into this argument, I bet you I get two or three calls a week on this very subject. And the calls are always, uh, the fabricator says it's just a natural fissure or a natural occurrence and it's not a crack. How do you tell if it's a crack versus a natural fissure? One of the tools I simply use is my fingernail. If I run my fingernail across that suspected crack or, or fissure and it doesn't catch, it's probably a natural fissure. If it catches, then it's probably a crack. Now, with that in mind, you have to be careful because a lot of times a natural fissure can become a crack. So, And what's this usually caused by? It's usually caused either during installation it's caused because the countertop's not set properly, uh, movement of, of any sort. So uh, it's one of those issues that it comes down to, um, you know, calling someone like me or another inspector to come in and take a look at the countertop to see whether you're actually dealing with a crack or whether you're dealing with a fissure. Now, the question always comes up, can this crack be fixed? Ah, well, that's another story. Um, the Marble Institute of America in their dimensional uh, dimension stone manual says basically that if the crack is non-structural. In other words, it's not going to fall off the countertop or continue to crack. So you have to fix what's causing the crack. It could be a shim that's misplaced. It could be an uneven countertop. Uh, you would obviously want to fix that portion of it first. And then as long as the crack is aesthetically pleasing, then you probably have um, – yeah, it's probably okay to, to actually fix that crack. Although in my experience, if a customer calls you and they have a crack and you go in to fix it, I don't care how good you are at fixing cracks, that customer is always going to see it. That's when you need to call in uh, a third party at that particular uh, point in time. I want to give a shout out to some of my past students that we've had uh, bath past January and beginning of February out in Las Vegas for my stone inspection class. Uh, I know a lot of you are going to be listening to this, uh, to this uh, show. And uh, I just want to say great job. It's a great class. 
any of you that uh, want to attend one of these classes, I am doing another one here in Melbourne, Florida, uh, my home uh, hometown sometime in June. Actually, I think it's June 11th uh, through June 14th. Uh, so um, if you want to attend that class, uh, go to my website, stoneforensics.com, take a look at the uh, training section, and you'll see all about that class. Or just simply give me a call. Uh, you can either send me an email at fhouston at gmail.com. That's fhouston at gmail.com. Or feel free to give me a call on my cell, which is 321-514-6845. Now, we are live at this moment. This uh, episode is going to be uh, archived, so anyone can go in and actually see it by clink- clicking on the link that I put in the uh, my Facebook page, my Twitter page, my LinkedIn page. I think I also sent out some uh, some direct uh, emails as, as well. So uh, let's see if we have some other callers here. Let's go ahead and try uh, someone here from the 262 area code. Let's see if you're there. Caller, are you there? I guess that caller is not there. So let's go ahead and try... I, I can only see telephone numbers here, people. I can't see who it is, so we'll uh, go ahead and try the uh, 414. Are you there, caller? Or 414 area code. Yes. Oh, yeah, we got it. Hello. Hey, what is your name? Yes. Hi, it's, I'm Rob with Bonstone. How are you? Hey, Rob, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Sorry about that. Good. You have a question, a comment? Uh, no, this has been a very great you know, uh, so far I'm learning a lot. Um, as far as you had a question, I think there was something about resin-backed materials. Yes. Um, I'm probably not the best person to address that. Uh, I would think either Mike or Paul, if they're on the line, if they could possibly address that, that might be be helpful. Um, but that would be, I think you're asking about possibly epoxies or using a chemical bond. Um, yes. I don't know if Mike and Paul are on the line, but they would probably be able to help with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my experience with that has been, uh, it's just, uh, you know, you get these installers that will either, you know, they think they're buying premium thin sets and they are, but if they, they read the darn limitations on the, on the, on the back of the, even on the back of the bag, never mind the, the data sheet, it'll, it'll say that resin back materials are very difficult to bond. And, uh, yeah. you know, from my, my experience, I've seen recommendations from both, you know, Laticrete, Mapei, Custom, any of those uh, out there will say uh, this will not work for fiberglass back material. So, I mean, that, that's that's a big issue. So, at that point, do you if do you suggest that they remove the the fiberglass back material where it's to be bonded to the substrate, well, let's, or let's, how do you? What's your recommendation? Well, I've seen I've seen installers do that. The problem with that is they don't always come off very easily. Uh, it can be very difficult right. to remove remove those backings off. I've seen them where they just peel right off, and uh, sure. if that's the case, I would be a little concerned right there. But if there's any kind of you know, generally let, let's take a fiberglass back. Um, and I've had arguments where someone would say, well, it says resin back, it doesn't say fiberglass back. Well, how do they adhere the fiberglass? They use resins <laughs> to adhere the fiberglass. So. Uh, when the bag says do not use on resin bond, it also means, you know, fiberglass as well as any of the other polymers that are being used on the back of these and the back of these tiles. And sure, uh, if I, I've 
some tricks that some installers use that work sometimes effectively. Uh, some of them will actually skim coat the back of the tile, uh, the resin bond tile, and then use standard thin set mm -hmm. on them. And as long as you do that, you know, properly and you're using the proper additives, you know, a, a good latex or an acrylic additive, uh, you can get a decent bond, but it's still kind of iffy. Uh, you know, let's take an example. If I get called in as an inspector to look at a failure that has a resin back material and it has not been installed properly i'm going to say so you know i'm going to basically say sure. hey this is this isn't going to work and uh the installer's in trouble and voila you have you have a lawsuit on your hands so uh it, it's a it's a, it's probably the number one problem i'm seeing right now uh with uh especially uh floor and, and wall installations and the only thing, you know, the way if, unless they peel off is to physically grind them off. And I don't know if that's, you know, and realistic. And I've seen them, well, for a, small, for a small area, it might be realistic. You know, let's look at sure. the reason why they, they put fiberglass on the back of these materials. It's because they would fall apart if they didn't have them, basically. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, we're seeing materials today that we, we didn't see, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I first started in the business. And uh, what happens there is you end up with... Uh, uh, tiles that you you could not ship unless they were somehow held together, and that's what the resin and the fiberglass backing actually does is uh, is hold them together. Right. But that doesn't only that doesn't only apply to resin back tiles. I've seen that uh, if you heard the beginning of the show I was talking about the porosity of uh, porcelain based tiles. Well, there are some porcelains yeah. that have very very little porosity to them. And if you don't have porosity, you're not going to bond. And, you know, for those of you listening, if, if you're not, not understanding what I mean by, by bonding, if you go back and you, you look at basic concrete, uh, how, how concrete sets, how concrete cures, that's what our thin sets are. Thin sets are nothing more than concrete with a bunch of additives to them, but the, the principles and the physics and the chemistry of, of concrete apply to bonding. Of, of the tile or, or stone or whatever you're trying to bond in this case. And if you don't have the exchange of moisture there, you can't get a bond. So that's why you need a chemical bond when it comes to bonding, you know, a resin back uh, material or, or a tile period that has little porosity to it at all. So, But, uh, yeah, I, I, your Bondstone products are great products. I've used those throughout the years. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing interviews with various companies on the, on this show in the future here. So uh, if you guys are interested oh, in uh, being interviewed about your product line, uh, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to uh, entertain that as well. Just go ahead and send me an email, and uh, we'll get you set up for an interview for the next show because I'll be doing these shows every week. That would be great. We look forward to it. All right. Thanks for the call, and keep – all right, Word. thank you. Sure, take care. Take care. All right, there we go. We had our first caller, but yeah, l let me talk a little bit more about about bonding and how how things bond. Uh, I get into arguments all the time, especially as as an expert in a court of law, when someone starts equating bonding with coverage, and there's a very distinct difference. Um, let me give you an example. You can have a tile that's set in sand. So let's take a bed of sand and press that tile in the sand. You now have 100% coverage, but zero bond. The opposite is true. I can actually take a tile and put a dot of epoxy on the back of it. It could be the size of a quarter, say on a 12 by 12. And that tile is not coming up. It might crack, it probably will crack, but it's not coming up. 
that's less than 99% coverage, but a pretty good bond. So you don't want to confuse bond with, with, with coverage. I had an example, my, my students from my inspection class will remember this story, I hope, uh, where we had a, a building. It was a Capitol building that uh, was installed, I think, around 1870s, 1860s, 1870s. And uh, after about 100 and some years, uh, they claim the tile started failing. It started popping up all over the place. Well, I went in, did an inspection, and lo and behold, discovered that there never was a bond. So the question was, and the reason I knew there was never a bond, I started popping tiles up, placed a suction cup on the tile, pop it up, and lo and behold, no thin set, no setting material at all to the back of, back of the tile. I mean, I mean zero. It never did bond. So the question, <coughs> excuse me, you should be asking is why not? You know, why, why didn't it bond? And why did it, well, not only why didn't it bond, but why all of a sudden is it coming up now, a hundred and some years later? Well, I started walking around this building and I noticed a couple of things. First of all, I noticed the joints were extremely tight in one direction. So in other words, they were so tight, they were literally being held in like a jigsaw puzzle, if you will. They were just being pressed in and held in uh, by one another from the, from the tension of one tile against the other. I walked around the corner and one of the first things I noticed was that they were tearing up some tile in one of the rooms and they were going to renovate this room or whatever they were going to do to this room. And all of a sudden I had one of those, what I call aha moments, which was, Oh wait, now I know what's going on. What they basically done is taking this entire maze or jigsaw, if you will, uh, of tiles. And if you take one up, the others become loose. Well, that's what happened. They started tearing tiles up and bingo. What happens is the whole, the whole installation comes up. And this was a fairly large Capitol building, state Capitol building. So we had to go in and, uh, uh, you know, told, tell them that, but then we say, well, what happened, you know, during the setting of these materials, you know, what exactly happened to cause these tiles not to bond properly? Well, you have to dig a little deeper, and I, and I mean that as a pun because we literally have to dig into the installation uh, deep to see what's in there. And we noticed that there was um, a layer of mortar, uh, a couple of inches thick, and on the bottom of that, under that mortar, was a bed of about 12 inches or so of material they call pugging, which is basically sand and dirt. So what I surmised happened in this case is that when they set the tile initially, they put the mortar on top of this layer of dirt and it just absorbed all the moisture and the tile never bonded. So bonding is extremely important. Uh, looks like we have our 262 caller back. Let's see if we can get you on the line. Uh, okay, caller, are you there? Hello? 262 area code caller. Nope. Uh, either your microphone's not working or... I don't know. All right. Well, anyway, the phone number, if you'd like to call in, is 323-870-3968. Uh, if you don't want to call in, I'll just keep rambling on. <laughs> I've got I've got lots to talk about when it comes to uh, stone, tile, uh, etc. Et uh, also, we can also talk about some of the engineered materials, uh, the, the, this quartz surfaces, or what I like to call engineered stone. Uh, as well as uh, some of the other materials coming out like glass countertops, uh, glass tile, 
uh, you want to talk about a bonding issue. I, I would venture to say that almost every single glass tile installation that I've seen, and I've seen some rather large ones. I looked at one uh, uh, last year that was uh, each tile was about four foot by four foot. That's right, folks, four foot by four foot, huge tile, and it didn't bond at all. And again, they were using a claim to use a premium grade thin set material. Glass is not poor is is non-porous so what's that mean it's not going to bond properly uh you need a, a chemical bond of some kind whether that be epoxy or i now some of the uh setting material people like uh, mape latacre custom southern uh, if any of you guys are on the line if you'd like to call in and and chime in on that now have uh materials that uh can bond properly without using epoxy uh, I have not heard anything from the field yet as to anyone who has used those materials. And quite honestly, what happens a lot of times with uh, you, you installers out there is you, you know, do the job. Job looks great. You get your check. The check clears, and you never hear from that job again, uh, unless I get called. <laughs> One of our inspectors gets called out, and uh, uh, you end up with a, with, with a big issue. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, again, let me give the number out, 323-870-3968. Uh, I'm going to go, go ahead and see if I can get this uh, other caller on the line here. Hello, caller, are you there? Guess not. Either his microphone's not working or something's wrong with his his headset or I don't know if he's calling on the telephone or, or not. So anyway, um, Let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the issues I'm seeing with uh, countertop fabrication. And uh, I think the next show I do, or one of the next couple of shows I do, I'm going to have a, a fabricator friend of mine uh, come in and talk about uh, what to look for when buying a countertop, uh, not only from the fabricator standpoint, but also from the consumer standpoint. Uh, this show, the Stone and Tile show, I want to be not only a show for all you professionals out there, whether it's fabricators, restorers, installers, uh, architects, engineers, or whatever, but also for the consumer, because the consumer also has a lot of questions. And some of the answers we get in this, this particular industry tend to be a little... Ah, what's the word I want to use? Uh, misinformation, if you will. So um, uh, we'll open it up to uh, to those callers a, a, as well. So again, three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Okay, fabrication issues. Uh, one of the biggest things that uh, I've run into, other than the uh, crack versus a fissure uh, scenario, there is uh, this thing called a green blue bloom. That's a green blue bloom. Sometimes it'll appear as a greenish discoloration on the countertop. Other times it'll appear as a, a bluish or even some time somewhere between a greenish blue type um, uh, type color discoloration. And folks, that is called from the use of the accelerator you use with your CA glues. Uh, your CA glue meaning your super glues. Um, for those of you that don't use those, that's basically where you use a glue to fill a seam or to put a patch in a stone or whatever, and you, you spray the accelerator on it to give it a quick cure. And generally what happens is, depending on the type of granite, it doesn't happen to all the granites, is either within a day or two, or sometimes it'll take a month or more, you'll get this greenish blue uh, stain that will occur. And uh, there, there's a, it occurs a lot out there. Uh, there's not a lot you can do about it. Fortunately, there are ways to remove it. Uh, I believe both 10X and Braxton Bragg have kits 
that will uh, it's a stain kit that will actually remove that uh, that bluish green green stain. Um, you know the super glues, by the way, will cure without the accelerator. However, uh, they won't cure very rapidly, so uh, you do need ex accelerator. I do find that some accelerators. Um, have a tendency to not do that, but it all depends on the granite. And some of the testing that I've done uh, usually find that if the granite has any kind of a copper element in it at all, and a lot of times you can't tell that, uh, but it'll it'll have a tendency to do that. So basically, your light-colored granites, you know, yellows, uh, uh, those type of uh, granites uh, tend to have that that particular issue more so than than any any of the others. Um, <clears throat> Another staining issue we get with uh, granite, or now I don't really want to call it a staining issue, but in reality, it is a staining issue, <laughs> and that is uh, dyed granite, or what they call doctored granite. Uh, this has been a problem in the stone industry for years and years, um, mainly on countertops, but I have seen a few instances where floors were dyed, and basically what happens is, you know, you take these um, grayish colored uh, granites and you you know uh, countries like India and China even Brazil sometimes will pawn these off as premium absolute black slabs and the way they do it is they actually put dyes now these dyes can range and from you know simple you know stains like wood stains to I've heard of them even using uh, uh, manure and urine and charcoal to dye some of these. So um, some of the dyes are are very well set. In other words, they tend to take really deep and are difficult to remove, and others are not. And that's where we start seeing these rings that occur. You'll start getting light areas that occur. Here's a little tip for you fabricators out there, or even you consumers are thinking about putting, you know, the dark jet black granites in your in your kitchens, or you're thinking of fabricating them is you'll need two chemicals. You'll need acetone, and you'll need what is called MEK, methyl ethyl ketone. You can pick them up at any Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Sherwin-Williams, any paints, or anywhere they sell paint supplies, you'll be able to pick up those solvents. Take a white rag, pour some acetone on the white rag, and wipe the, cap, wipe the slab. If the color comes off, and you'll look, see it on the rag, in other words, if you get color transfer, you have a dyed slab, reject it. Now, sometimes the dyes won't react with acetone, but they will react with MEK. So what you want to do in that case is take the MEK on a fresh rag, take it to a different spot on the, on the slab, wipe it, and see if you get transfer. If either one of those two solvents doesn't give you color transfer, chances are you're not going to have a problem, uh, a, a, a dyed problem with those um, those slabs. So another one of the questions I get all the time, let's suppose I, you know, you're a restoration contractor, you get a call from a customer that has a slab that's, or has a countertop that's starting to uh, cause this problem. How do you fix it? Um, well, you obviously can't refinish it because it's not going to put the color back in there, but there are companies out there like 10X that do make uh, dyes that you can re-dye it, dye it with. And, you know, you just have to be honest with your customer and tell your customer, hey, you know, this is uh, uh, what it is. This is what's happened. And uh, let them fight it out with the fabricator if they want to or not. Uh, again, the call-in number, if you have any questions, 323-870-3968. Uh, we've got this caller, this two, 262 caller that's been on hold here, and I can't get him to him or her to, to click in, so let's try it one more time. All right, caller, are you there from the Hello? 26? Hey, there you are. Hello? How are you? Yes. Hi. 
Uh, I'm Paul. I'm just uh, I have some questions. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, quartz, light-colored quartz and marbles that are the slabs are pinking up. Um, have you heard of that? And how do you? Yeah, I have. And generally, what's what's happening is you'll get, and I'm assuming what you're saying is that after it's installed, you'll get little tiny pink dots that occur. And sometimes that pinkish will occur, occur around the either where the seam is on the countertop or if it's a tile around the grout lines. Is that is that what you're seeing? Um, actually, it's a lot of the the full slab is pinking up. Um, and are they I've out, heard some. Are, yeah, are they out there slabs? Well, what's happening is the slabs are coming in, uh, and once they're hitting light, some guys will take it out and out in the yard, and then they'll uh, once the light hits it, they pink up. And some of them are happening two or three months later at in the installation. Yeah, there's there's possibly two things. Yeah, possibly two. Uh, the first thing I've seen where this has happened is a type of resin that's used. You know, a lot of these slabs are resin, and that now we have stone suppliers. They're not only resining certain types of stone, they're basically resining everything. And I'm assuming you know what I mean by resining? Yeah. That's where they resin yeah. the stones at the factory. They inject resins in there. And what happens when those are exposed to UV light, e even minor UV light inside someone's home, I've seen these discolor to some to some color, whether it's you know, darkening, lightening, but I have seen them turn pink as well uh, with certain resins. So that's the first thing I would check. The second thing that can happen, especially with the, the light-colored materials, is you have mineral oxidation that's occurring. Uh, you know, most people equate iron to turning red or turning brown or yellow, but iron can also turn pink uh, depending on, on the other minerals and, and the, the, the compound of iron that it is. So it could possibly be that. There's a good way to check for it, by the way. Uh, if you suspect, it's, and this will tell you whether it's a resin issue or whether it's an iron issue, is there's an indicator that you can use. It's a, it's a product by Alpha Tools called RSR2000. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but it's, it's generally used for rust removal. But what I use it for is I use it for iron indication because what will happen is if you take a little bit of that, you put a little dot on the, on, the, on the stained area, and you wait about a minute or two, it turns purple. It's a positive ID for iron. If it doesn't, then I would suspect resin. Now, you might ask, you probably next question is going to be, how do I fix this problem? Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, you probably have to resurface the entire countertop. Uh, once you resurface it, you should be able to get down below the where the resin is, if it's a resin problem, where the resin is oxidizing. Uh, when you If you cut these slabs, if you look at the cross-section, you'll probably notice that the, that the that the, that the side is not pink. Is that correct? Um, yeah, that is correct in some instances. Uh, what was that Alpha uh, product oh, again? Sure, it was called. It's called. It's some Alpha Professional Tools. It's called RSR, which stands for Rust Stain Removal 2000. It comes in a tube like a. It looks like a big tube of toothpaste, and it's this really stinky, sulfur-smelling. Uh, material that uh, reacts with iron and it, it'll turn purple when it when it hits iron. And you can pick that up from any of your suppliers, whether it's you know Braxton Bragg or Regent, uh, Grand Quartz, any of those those guys should carry that particular product. Will that purple can, fade out? No, actually, the purple will get darker <laughs> if you leave it on there too long. I've seen the opposite happen. I've seen where the actual purple, will, you'll end up with a, not a pink stain anymore. You'll end up with a purple stain. 
And if that happens, uh, basically what you want to do is uh, hit it with some peroxide. A good strong hydrogen peroxide will take the purple right out. Because I, I also heard too, uh, even researching on the internet, that the pinking might be an algae that's in the stone from the quarrying part of it. it well, if that's the case, that's a very easy to determine. All you basically need to do is take a real strong bleach solution. You know, I would, you know, you could put it on a, on a rag or something, let the rag set there overnight. That should kill any biological growth uh, that's there. So, um, in order for that to to occur, I'm not saying it won't occur. You would have to have really wet conditions where that slab was, you know, in the earth and exposed to some air somehow. And, you know, generally you're dealing blocks, and unless the block was sitting there for a long period of time, I doubt that would happen. But it's possible. You know, one of the nice things, about, well, interesting things anyway about the stone industry is, you know, we're dealing with a product of nature, and it can do all kinds of funky things. But okay. a, good, strong, a good, strong bleach solution on a spot, if it's algae or, you know, a red algae, for example, uh, it'll kill any biological that's there. But that's another test if you suspect uh, that that's what you might have. Okay. Thanks. I'm good, Paul. Thanks for the call, Paul. I'll keep listening. All right. All right. Again, uh, thanks for that call, Paul. Uh, 323-870-3968. I love callers. They they bring up some interesting, interesting topics. And uh, I've seen a lot of weird stains in my my career. Um, I actually saw an orange stain one time that was on a memorial in a graveyard. And uh, taking a closer look at it, put it under a microscope, it was a type of lichen or a a mold or uh, a moss, if you will. And basically went to, you know, thank God we have Google. <laughs> I mean, you can get an answer from anything with Google. Basically go into Google and, um, you know, type in orange biological growth and all kinds of stuff comes up. You go to Google Images and you can actually match the image as well. And, and by the way, that's a really good way to search for certain stones as well. Uh, there's a really good site. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the site is. I want to say it's marble.com, which has just an endless, endless supply of of photographs of various types of marble. And what's really cool about it is that you can go in and, you know, let's say you know it's a marble. Uh You've done an acid test on it. You've done a scratch test on it. You can tell it's a marble, but you don't know what it is. You don't know where it came from. And if you put it, let's say it's a reddish colored marble or limestone. And as some of you know, a lot of the marbles that are being sold in the United States today are also uh, are, are more likely limestones than they are uh, true marbles. But anyway, what I was getting at is uh, you can go to that site. You can put in a color. So let's say you're looking at a red marble. You don't know where it is. You don't know the country of origin. You don't know what it's called. Uh, you can put in red marble and just search the images until you find something that that's close and that'll kind of give you, you know, a really good indication of, uh, of what you're dealing with. All right. One more time before I go on to another topic here. And that is the area code is three, two, three, three, two, three. The number is eight, seven, zero, three, nine, six, eight. This is a 60 minute show. We started at six o'clock and uh, we're gone another 24 minutes, according to uh, the clock on my computer here. And again, uh, this show will be archived and we actually have had some really good information on this show. I was surprised uh, at some of the calls that that we've had uh, on this. Now, one of the other I wouldn't say it's a common problem, but we do run into this all the time. I had a fabricator one time in Chicago call me and said, Fred, I've replaced three kitchens 
because of this problem. And I don't know what to do. You know, why is this occurring? And he was getting these silver, what he called silver stains or silver marks on the countertop. And uh, this was caused from the, the, his grinder that he was using was actually leaving a metal mark across there. And uh, when that happens, uh, he said, I tried everything to remove it. Basically, all you need to do is take a little bit of polishing powder, rub it either wet or dry, and it comes right off. All right, looks like we have another caller from the 352 area code. Let me buzz them in. Are you there, caller? Hello, are you there, Fred? Yes, I'm here. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Scott Wilson of Wilson Stoneworks, Inc. How hey. are you, sir? Yeah. I'm doing good, Scott. Listen, uh, I got a quick Terrazzo question for you. Um, oh, I primarily do marble restoration, but in order to keep the machines running and stay busy, I do a, a fair amount of Terrazzo restoration. I'm up in uh, from the Keys, but uh, I'm up in the north-central Florida area. Uh, I've okay. run into, in the last two years, uh, this is my fifth job, that is a Terrazzo restoration that was flooded out by a hurricane. Ah. And I'm on a, another one right now this week where uh, – um, obviously, walls, because of the flooding, they change walls around. And when they pull the sill plates up, you know, I got to assume that, that, that what I'm seeing there is a tannic acid stain that's yep, embedded because of the sill plate that's sat on top. And, of course, it's gotten wet. Normally, these homes have – this is not the first time they've been underwater on Crystal River or up on the Santa Fe River or what have you. So these tannic acid stains, you know, they, they grind out fairly well to some degree, starting with 70 metals. But, uh, you know, I go back and I try to poultice once or twice with uh, with 40-volume peroxide and diatomaceous earth. And, okay. uh, you know, I can get them nice, but I just don't seem to be able to pull all the tannic acid out of the floor. And I'm wondering if you got any suggestions for me. Yeah. Did, have you ever heard of a product called Cleanstone? Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that may work. Uh, Clenstone is a, a fluoric acid, uh, a, a sodium fluoride type type product that works on on stains like that, especially on tannic stains. And okay. they have very they ha and for those of listening, Clenstone is actually spelled with a K. I believe it's okay. K L E E N Stone, something like that. Yes, uh, sir. And uh, uh, they have different strengths of it. You know, like I think Clenstone one, two, and three. And uh, I would give them a call and ask them which one is best for that. Okay. Uh, and I, I would try that. That would be my best bet. What I would suggest you do, obviously, is open it up first. You know, open it up with your 70 grit. Uh, leave it open before you poultice. Don't bring it to a finer, you know, a finer. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah I always, I, they usually, usually at 120 metals is where I start poulticing. Right. Yeah. Good. Perfect. And I, I would try that. I mean, they can be okay. difficult. I mean, tan, tannic acids are. I mean, they're, they're, they're real difficult to remove, but that would be my second go-to. I mean, obviously what you're trying, if it's not working, uh, you know, sometimes, you, you know, I would say 70%, 80%, you can move it with a really strong hydrogen peroxide solution in a poultice, but the, uh, you may need to go something, something like the Cleanstone product uh, for that. Well, listen, I realize it's a little off subject from what you were talking about earlier, but I sincerely appreciate you taking my call on the info, sir. Oh, no problem, Scott, anytime. All right. Keep listening, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I'm here. Let, let, let us know if it so works. Long. Yes, sir, I will. <laughs>
Right. Yeah, that that's a real common problem. I mean, terrazzas, we used to do a lot of grocery stores back in the day, and you would end up with uh, uh, rust stains that were real bitch to get out. And uh, uh, that, that that was a real bear, but that Clenstone product uh, it tended to work really, really well for us. And I know a lot of my, my friends in the restoration end of it uh, are also using uh, the Clenstone product, which works works really well for those difficult uh, difficult stains, especially on on terrazzo. Uh, obviously, I'd be careful with epoxy terrazzos, but uh, if you're dealing with tannin stains, uh, I'm sure you're probably not dealing with epoxy terrazzos. You're probably dealing with a cement based uh, terrazzos. All right, we got less than 20 minutes to go here for this show. But uh, again, anybody else wants to call in with a quick question? Uh, the number again is three two three eight seven zero. 3968, and I'd be happy to attempt to answer any of your questions, uh, whether it's a restoration question, a fabrication question, a consumer question, a design question, a specification question, or uh, I've run into I've run into all of them. As as a matter of fact, uh, most of you probably know that every month I write the Stone Detective article for the uh, uh, Slippery Rock Gazette, and uh, I've run into some doozies. I just finished one up yesterday. Uh, that'll be in the I believe the April issue uh, of the Slippery Rock Gazette. And if you guys don't get that uh, paper, it's a, it's a really good paper. Um, not only does it have my article in it, but they have a lot of uh, useful articles in it. If you go to Slippery Rock Gazette, uh, I believe it's Slippery Rock Gazette. I don't know if it's .com or .org, but it, again, go to Google, type in Slippery Rock Gazette, and uh, it's a free paper. Just sign up for it, and you can actually read it online as well if you uh, want to try to eliminate paper. Uh, I still like the uh, what I call the bathroom library edition, <laughs> where you can actually uh, uh, read some of the articles in there. So it's uh, some great, great, great articles. You know, unfortunately, uh, I'm noticing that a lot of the magazines lately other than maybe that one uh, to a limitation are getting away from the technical aspect. You know, the, the, the problems that fabricators and installers, restoration contractors run into are more uh, geared towards the design phase of it. And uh, so it's becoming harder and harder. And I'm hoping that this show will actually help with that, answer some of these questions and delve into a lot of these uh, issues that, that occur. Uh, again, my website is stoneforensics.com. For those of you that want to hop on there, see some of the issues and problems that I deal with. I have uh, quite a few case studies on there. Uh, if any of you want to call with a comment, uh, I'd be more than happy to take a comment as well as not just a question. I'm not the only expert out there, and I haven't seen everything yet, although I've been doing this for 30-plus years. But uh, it's it's amazing uh, some of the stuff I see out there on a regular basis, and as we – you know, as we start to see more and more man-made uh, products uh, being used in the natural stone industry, especially, we're running into more and more problems. We're making natural stone more of a manufactured material by adding resins to it, et cetera. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, because of that, we run into more and more failure issues, which is it's good news for me because I do inspections for for the most part and uh, uh, determine why things fail, whether it's you know an exterior of a of a building, uh, something as simple as a countertop or 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 whatever. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, speaking of um, countertops, I'm going to uh, I just was hired by a, a organization called the International Surface Fabricators Association. I'll give them a plug. It's uh, ISFA I S F A. Uh, now, now.org, I believe, is their website, and I'll be starting to do um, 
in-house fabrication seminars where I actually go into a uh, fabricator one-on-one -on -one with his people and try to determine, uh, you know, basically give them uh, some knowledge that they might be having some issues with, whether it's edge polishing, surface polishing, stain removal, uh, whatever, uh, even to the uh, going in and evaluating the shop and taking a look at it and seeing, you know, exactly, you know, why can't you get past that, that, that growth pay, that growth, you know, you, you can do so many countertops a week, but you just can't get past that many. Why? And it could be the way your, 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 your equipment is set up. Uh, it could be the flow of the shop. And sometimes it needs a fresh pair of eyes uh, to see that. So I'd be more than happy to take any questions on that topic as, as well, as best as I can uh, without seeing your shop. So uh, we're down to 15 minutes here. Three, two, three, eight, seven, zero, three, nine, six, eight. Uh, don't be shy. Uh, give us a call and uh, with either a comment or, or a question or uh, whatever the case may be, just to say hello to me. Uh, that would be great. I'm kind of lonely here. <laughs> now, it looks like we have quite a few listeners on here, which is, uh, which is great. I hope this show is going to be helpful, and that's, that's the whole, whole purpose of the show. There are some older shows that are on this site, uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash backslash uh, Dr. Fred, Dr. Fred, F-R-E-D. Uh, some of the shows I did way back when in 2000, I think 2010, 2011, when I looked today. So it's uh, there's some um, uh, old shows that I talk about, uh, stone inspection, stain removal. Actually, I'll probably end up doing a whole show on stain removal and how to remove uh, difficult stains, as well as some of the common stains that occur out there. Um, we're getting a lot of, a lot of, we always get stain issues uh, all, all the time as, you know, the one caller that I think was Paul that called in with his uh, pink issue. That that's one of the things. Uh, one of the things we see. Uh, rust is common, uh, as well as you know, oil stains, coffee stains, uh, things of that nature as well. So uh, feel free to call in. Uh, again, I'll put the number out there: three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Also, let me mention that my Facebook page. Many of you are on my uh, Facebook page, and that's how you probably heard about the show. Uh, I also have a private group. Uh, if you're interested, on Page, which is called, uh, which is Stone Inspection Area. If you go in and, and type in, uh, I believe it's Stone. Actually, let me give you the exact address if I can look it up right here. It's called the Stone Inspection forward slash Forensics. If you type that into your search engine and your um, in your in your Facebook, uh, you can I can you just basically ask to join, and I'll approve you or not approve you. Uh, chances are I'll approve you. The only people I tend to not improve are the – I get a lot of uh, requests from people overseas that are trying to sell me stone. Well, I don't buy stone anymore, so I'm really not interested in that. But uh, if you're interested, every Friday I post a um, what I call Failure Friday, and we post a different failure on there. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see what uh, a lot of you guys come up with. Again, one more time, 323-870-3968. Uh, we're down to 13 minutes left left in the show. Um, let me cover some uh, other topics here that I would I would like to uh, uh, I'll eventually cover. I don't don't have a lot of time here uh, to cover everything that I would like to uh, in depth. I know some of you have been asking me about the crystallization process and uh, actually that's going to take a lot longer than the last couple of minutes that we have left in this show uh, but um, I have a really good article uh, that I'd be more than happy to send anyone on that particular actually I have several articles 
uh, that I've done over the years that I'm more than happy to email any of you. Uh, just simply send me an email to F Houston. That's F H U E S T O N at gmail.com. And uh, I'd be more than happy to uh, email you that article free of charge on not only crystallization, I have one on staying room. I, I don't know. I have several hundred articles that I've done over the years and uh, still continue uh, uh, to write articles, as well as if you have any suggestions uh, for articles out there that uh, that haven't been haven't been written yet. So uh, uh, definitely feel free. Again, my email is fhouston at gmail.com. So again, restoration questions, fabrication questions, installation questions, uh, failures, uh, some of the good jobs. Let's hear about some of the good jobs that you've that you've that you've done out there. Uh, stains. Um, the, the, you know, this this the stone industry is a very interesting industry. Um, it's it's one of those things that's not a manufactured based industry. In other words, we don't have. <clears throat> We don't make this material, especially the natural stone, the tile and the ceramic tile, uh, you know, uh, terrazzo and that. Obviously, we make that, and because of that, we end up with a lot of issues there as well. But uh, it's not all issues. Uh, Don't don't take that the wrong way. I mean, get a lot of people that uh, I talk to say, why why would I want a granite countertop because there's too many problems with it, and and it's a big issue. Uh, it's a huge issue. I remember years ago, I got called by one of the big box stores and I was asked to, it was a fabricator issue that they weren't fabricating properly. And I was asked to come in and talk to a lot of the uh, sales reps that were in the, of this big box store. And uh, I was just astonished. They, they, they did not want to sell stone countertops to the general public simply because they said there were too many problems. And to me, that's a lack of education. That's not being educated properly. I offered to educate them. Of course, they didn't want to pay the money to do that, but um, you know, they need to be educated. That stone, stone countertops are beautiful. You know, they're, uh, uh, in my opinion, anyway, and this is strictly my opinion. They, you know, they beat Corian. They even beat a lot of the engineered materials. Uh, I like the look of them. I like the feel of them, and uh, it tends to add a little bit of elegance. And it's a shame that. Um, uh, that there, there are some of these big box stores are, are, are not wanting to sell them. But on the other hand, that's a good thing for you if you're competing against them. You know, if you're a fabricator in an area and you're dealing with, you know, the Home Depots, the Lowe's and stores like that, uh, that's probably that's probably a good thing since they're trying to, you know, lower the price and uh, it, it can be it can be real hassle and. You can imagine some of the stories and some of the complaints that I've heard uh, from from consumers who have uh, bought in countertops, countertops there. And don't take this the wrong way. It's not only a fabricator problem. It's a, a consumer problem, uh, an installation problem, um, you know, as well. So, again, nine minutes to go here, 323-870-3968. And I'd be more than happy to take your calls, your questions, your comments. Or again, just to say hi, Fred. You know what's going what's going on. Um, one of the calls, or actually, it was an email I got from one of my past students today. Uh, sent me a photograph of a ceramic tile that he had some issues with in a shower, and the tile had what we call crazing. Uh, not not a crazy tile. It was a, a tile that was crazing. In other words, it was it had this this glaze on the surface that was that had this random cracking within each individual tile. And um, he asked me, and I actually sent him an email on this, is there a way to test for that to see whether, you know, it's a manufacturing issue? 
And there is. Uh, the, the actual test is called an ISO 10545-11. That's ISO 10545-11. And basically, you need a tile. You need to be able to send a tile to a lab. And uh, they, will, they will take that tile, and there's a procedure they use by putting it in a kiln, heating it up, and putting some methylene blue on there, and a bunch of different things that they do to tell whether the glaze is good or not. Because all manufacturers of these tiles uh, have to meet that ISO standard for, for what we call crazing on the tiles. So um, there's a test that they have to do. And a lot of times, you know what happens, it's a manufactured product, and it will, uh, it will actually go through the process, and uh, you'll get bad tiles. So, you know, rather than jumping the gun and blaming the installer, um, you know, I would check the tile manufacturer as well and make sure that the tile is not, not at fault. Although, uh, what can happen with a, a tile, a tile can also craze if there's no expansion allowed. And I see this in showers constantly where, you know, where the walls meet, say where the back meet, wall meets the sidewall, that should be a soft joint. Anytime you have a change in plane, in other words, from you know, one change in plane to the other, whether that's the corner of the shower, whether that's the floor to the wall, that should be a soft joint because it's going to move. And when it moves, something's going to give. And if you have a hard joint in there, what's going to happen is a tile is either going to crack, it's going to, if it's a ceramic tile, it could craze. If it's a stone tile, it will, it will, it will uh, crack. So, or even delaminate to, to some, some point, depending on what type of bond. Uh, material was used to bond those particular tiles. Speaking of which, which I don't have a lot of time on this, and I've seen this a lot on showers, and that is if the installers are out there listening, please do not five dot or dab your setting material on your walls. I see that constantly. Um, I did an inspection in a hotel that had 500 rooms where every single tile was loose. I mean, loose to the point where I could actually a suction cup, put it on the wall, give a little bit of pull tile right off the wall. And uh, in that case, the installer used a dot method where he put, you know, a dot on each corner and one in the middle. And we were talking in this particular instance, some fairly large tiles. And uh, again, um, not the proper way to do it. If you look at the uh, TCNA standards, the MIA standards, uh, National Tile Contractors Association or the Marble Institute of America's um, uh, manuals, they will tell you you need a full mortar bed, uh, not the dot method. And I've run into installers that have used the dot method over and over and over again. And all I've been doing it for 30 years, I've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah, you have, and you probably haven't seen uh, any of the problems there at all. So anyway, we got a few minutes left, and it looks like we have another caller from the 804 area code. Let me see if I can get that caller on the line. Are you there, caller? Hello, Dr. Fred. It's Trey from Virginia. Hey, Trey. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Really enjoying this broadcast. I missed oh, about the you. first 20 minutes. I look forward to listening to it again later, but I don't know oh, no if problem. you mentioned your class or if you care to mention your class that uh, covers a lot of this in great detail. Yeah, I, I, I actually did in the beginning of the show, but since you brought it up, I'll mention it again. Yeah, uh, I do the, the a stone inspection slash troubleshooting class uh, every year. I've been doing it for a number of years. I generally do it in Las Vegas. I have a new one coming up that I'm going to do here in Melbourne, Florida in June. I'm going to try adding another one, uh, see if I can get people to come to Florida. I'm sure you guys up north won't mind that, although it is June. <laughs> but, yeah, we do cover – it's a four-day in-depth class. As, as you know, Trey, you attended it uh, last year, I believe. 
And uh, yes, sir. What did you th- What did you think of the class since I got you on the phone? Let everybody know. It's incredible. It's in- invaluable. I I don't know where you can get that much information in a short amount of time from the best source. I mean, I I can't say enough great things about it. So I highly recommend it to anybody. I appreciate that, Trey. Well, you keep Absolutely. warm up there in Virginia. We'll <laughs> do. Really enjoying the show. Look forward All to right, thank you. Keep, keep listening, buddy. Yeah, I, I get that from most of my uh, most of my uh, uh, students, past students, and and I keep the classes fairly small. Uh, I've had classes as little as three people. I think the biggest class I've had uh, a number of years ago was twelve people. But generally, I like to keep them around seven or eight, so you get that that individual uh, individual um, uh, attention that that a lot of people need, especially when you get uh, get a lot of questions. Well, we're down to just under uh, just under four minutes here. So if anybody wants to jump in for one last, again, the number is three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Uh, if not, I'll just continue to ramble on here for another three minutes, and then uh, we'll archive the show, and the show will be available again at blogtalkradio.com um, backslash Dr. Fred, D-R-F-R-E-D. Uh, my direct phone number, which is my cell phone number, 321-514-6845. That's not the call-in number. That's that's my direct cell phone number. And, uh, and then my email Email, anybody can tell you that contacts me on a regular basis is the best way to get a hold of me. I'm on my email constantly, either on my, my computer at home, uh, on my phone, or on my, uh, my tablet or whatever, is fhouston at gmail.com. And Houston is not spelled like Houston, Texas. It's actually spelled F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. And be more than happy to... Not only answer your questions via email, uh, but like to have them aired here on the radio, and I will I will probably maybe save them for the if I get any questions between now and uh, next week. Uh, this show will air every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, if you can't make it, they're going to be archived. You just need to go to that website, the blogtalkradio.com backslash Dr. Fred, and you can go ahead and listen to uh, uh, any of the archive shows, as well as some of the old ones. You know, the, Like I said uh, before, I've got some really old shows in there from back in 2010 to uh, 2011. Uh, so it's been a number of years. I really can't believe how long it's been. I, I really enjoy doing this show and, and talking to those callers, callers out there. So uh, we're down to the two-minute two mark here. Uh, again, I, I don't think I'm going to kind of delve into any more problems at this particular uh, point in time because it'll take me more than two minutes to <laughs> to, uh, to to explain it and to um, uh, uh, to talk about them. But again, let me kind of sum up. Uh, we did talk about uh, some staining from pink. Uh, uh, issues with some slabs. We talked about porcelain tile installations, uh, why the tiles are coming up, uh, resin-backed uh, materials, and how to set up. Which again is a big, big issue. I'm seeing that as probably one of the major failures that I'm seeing out there right now is not properly setting a resin-backed materials. Uh, we talked about crack versus a fissure and crazing of tile. So I guess we're going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, I will see everybody next Wednesday. Uh, here and uh, get your questions ready and uh, either email them in or uh, call in live next week. So until next week, have a great day and uh, enjoy the rest of the week.